what is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss. Scott. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of your favorite Highway to Heaven podcast. You're listening to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Today on the show, the seventh episode of the podcast, Joel and Rachel have stopped by the Channel 3 TV studio to tell me all about season one, episode nine. Joel and Rachel, welcome back. Hi, Sam. Hey, Sam. Good to have you two here, as always. What is the name of Season 1, Episode 9? Catch, Catch a, a Falling, falling star. star. You guys can just speak in unison like that? Just that's because that's we're married. married. To Catch a Falling Star. My hopes and dreams right now are that this is the legit astronaut episode, but I don't <laughs> think it will be. No, and uh, just as a little background information about the title Catch a Falling Star, Catch a Rising Star is a chain of comedy clubs that were founded in New York City in December 1972. I just associated it with the song Catch a Falling Star. Are you too familiar with that? No. Oh, goodness. I really hoped you were because I'm not going to sing it. Isn't that the one that goes, when you catch a falling star, (laughs) you're more catchy than you are. Not the one I was thinking of, but thank you. Maybe I was thinking of a different song. Oh, it's that song from Fifo Goes West where they talk about seeing a star and maybe they're under the same sky. (laughs) Maybe now we're catching on the same falling star. Oh, don't. That's going to make me cry for real. And that's tough. Uh, No, it wasn't that song song. either, but that's another good one. All right. Well, let me ask you this. So is this a show about stand-up comedians? It's not, but it is about the entertainment industry in the west how does our tale unfold we're close up on the hollywood sign and then the camera begins to pan back there's razzle dazzle music playing we're pulling back from the sign we see a freeway and close in on a car it's jonathan and mark and they're both wearing suits was it the same black tie number with the polka dots on it yes Joel? it really? was yeah uh, john was wearing the same tie i'm glad you're noticing those details all right So just minutes off of their last job helping King Arthur and his uh, soon-to-be dog-hoarding girlfriend. Lady Guinevere. Now they're driving into Tinseltown. You can probably guess who's not excited about wearing a suit and tie. Mark. Mark. Yeah, Mark's not feeling it. He's kind of yanking at the tie, and he says something about, if ties are so great, how come they call a hanging a necktie party? I've never heard that phrase before. Have either of you? I can't say I have. What context is that being used? I'm thinking like a what? I could see you say that in Western, maybe. It does take a lot more effort to say, you want to go to that necktie party? Instead of just saying, would you like to go to the hanging? I think maybe it'd be used in like... uh, Mixed company? Like you can't talk about hangings in front of the ladies? Or in front of children, perhaps? Yeah, listeners, feel free to educate us on the origin of that phrase if you have any more information. We find out... John and Mark are not going to a necktie party. No, in this episode, they're going to be babysitters. Okay. 
I'm on board. Of course I'm on board. <laughs> babysitters. Yep, they're going to be babysitters. We find out that they're dressed up so nicely because they are going to be minding Lance Gaylord's children. And Lance they Gaylord. Have, yeah, Lance the Gaylord. Lance Gaylord. Famed actor. He's a movie star. Movie star. Mm-hmm. Director. So they're going to go watch Ben Affleck's kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Rumor is the kids are brats, though. That's what Mark Mark's says. Mark's like, oh, I know those kids. Those kids are brats. From my days of being a cop. Yeah, we knew the Gaylord. Kids are legendary brats. Legendary brats. And Jonathan's like, hey, wait a minute. Calling them brats? Are you judging people? You really shouldn't make a preconceived notion about other people. Jonathan says that's the trouble with people. They start out with a preconceived notion of what someone's going to be like. Mark kind of just pulls a face like usual. Mark and Jonathan pull up to a red light and the car in front of them is a convertible driven by a very sweet looking older woman with white hair. The back of the convertible has a gigantic bumper sticker that says honk if you love Jesus. Mark says, see, look at that little sweet old lady. Why can't we have a job? helping somebody nice like her and not the brats. And then Mark honks his horn because he loves Jesus. Yes. She doesn't take to it too kindly though, eh? Oh my goodness. This is Los Angeles traffic after all. How did you know? She turns around and like gives him the finger. Yeah, and she's like, it's a red light, stupid. What, do you think there's a fire or something? And then uh, Jonathan just starts laughing and he says something like, see what I mean about preconceived notions, Mark? He says, ah, it's probably a loner car. Well, that does support Mark's point of view. Right. So next, we're going to actually be pulling into the MGM Studios. There's that razzle-dazzle music. Thank you. You're welcome. So we see a big MGM sign. We're pulling into a movie lot. And then we're going to cut immediately into what looks like a TV set. Sort of a Western scene. Mark and John are walking in, and they're leaning up against actually a Winnebago. And there is a child actor, and there's some of those chairs. The that dr- you director's chairs. Director's chairs with names on the back. Yeah, there's an old man just taking his break, sitting in the chair, but apparently it was this little kid's chair. And so the kid and his mom, specifically the mom, starts chewing out this old man. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I was just taking a break, lady. And she says, we worked really hard for that chair. That's our chair. Get out of it. So stage mom, 100%. Okay. For sure. Is this child actor still working today? Are they recognizable? No. I looked it up and sort of a character actor did some work throughout the 80s and early 90s, but really nothing you would recognize. So it's not the young Jason Bateman episode. It's not the young Corey Feldman episode. It's not Lucas Haas. We're not there yet. Okay. So people just go on with their lives and do other things that they find interesting. Well, that was the thing that I learned about with uh, Jonathan Frakes from last episode. Like he was doing just bits and pieces of roles for like nine years before landing Star Trek. And in the case of Jonathan Frakes, I'm not an expert on his career. But what I do know about Jonathan Frakes is that he has continued to work in the industry, but primarily as a director. I can see that. He's probably making some good money off Star Trek though, right? One would hope. Hopefully. A show that hasn't stopped being on television since it was on television still makes those people some money. That way you don't end up in, in being bunk mates in the bad side of town, as we learned in that's Mask your, of the Grider. That's your favorite thing from this podcast so far, isn't it? It's a juicy one. It's just, the juiciest one so far. I just love thinking of every television duo from history is now the real actors are just bunking together. That's what happens to you if you don't have any points on the back end. 
All right, so I know we're only 15 seconds into this episode so far. We've got a child actor, we've got a stage momzilla, and we've got an old actor. Well, the old man who was sitting in the chair, he is going to exit scene and we don't see him again. But we have a younger to middle-aged actor who will enter the scene, a man who's dressed like a Lone Ranger type character. He comes out and he's arguing with, it looks like, the script writer. Yes. And we find out this actor who's dressed like the Lone Ranger is Lance Gaylord, the dad of the children Mark and Jonathan are going to okay. be babysitting. Obviously right. starring in the reboot of The Masked Rider, Clearly. which I'm sure Jonathan Smith is secretly the executive producer of. I would assume so. This guy's crazy about cowboys. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was a go-to if they never had a good enough idea. They were just like, I don't know. I really like it when we dress up a dude in a Lone Ranger costume. We'll just change the scene, the scenery a little bit and put it in 1970s streets. Mm-hmm. It's not the old guy in his apartment this time. It's just guy in a movie people who watched it probably were like man this is really meta probably so gaylord is yelling at this other guy and then they're just like hey wait who are these two guys in suits and they're like oh hey us yeah we're from the darwin agency yeah we're here to watch your kids well you're early darwin is the name of the evolutionist i don't think there's any connection oh that doesn't matter no they just say yeah we're from the darwin agency and yeah can i see some of your references the reference question comes back up it's a little different this time though because jonathan actually pulls a piece of paper out of his suit coat and Mm -hmm. shows lance some references it's very doctor who like with the psychic paper explain to me what the psychic paper is Uh, basically it's about the size of a driver's license and you hold it in front of people and And they see whatever they want to see on it or whatever you tell them. It's kind of the these are not the droids you're looking for moment. Okay. And it frequently will be a surprise to him. Oh, the bikini inspectors have arrived. Okay, well, let us get our bikinis ready. I like it. But it is very reminiscent of that. Jonathan just has these papers ready to go, hands them over to Lance, totally acceptable. And then Lance turns to Mark and says, do you have references? And Mark gets a little concerned because he doesn't. And then John says, look, Look in your coat pocket. And of course, they're in his coat pocket. Sure. The reason they actually used references in this episode was because it gave him a chance to talk about being a cop. Lance notices that Mark used to be a cop and he asks him if he is allowed to carry a firearm, which Mark is not. So that's good for us to know. Mark can't carry a gun with him, which, you know, from Mark's temper and his reactions to things, I think it's probably best that Mark does not carry a gun with him. But that just leads Lance into saying something like, you know, you might need one when you're watching my kids. You never know who might be out to get me. I'm, I'm just worried about my kids. Classic Affleck. And then we find out that his kids are arriving on Friday. This is the first visit since the divorce. So the kids are coming to spend some time with dad post-divorce. He says, your main duties are to make sure my kids have a good time. It's their first vacation since the divorce. He says, I pay well, but I expect good service. And then uh, Hoosh the PA pops his head in. His name is Hoosh. I wonder what that's short for. And he tells him to go grab the limo. Okay. Hoosh is going to go get the limo. Jonathan and Mark are going to be driving the limo as well as babysitting the children. Nice. And then Jonathan asks Lance about what are the hours? You know, when do we get some time off? And not surprisingly, Lance says, you're on when I need you. You're paid for the job. When my kids need you, I expect you to be there. Which gives Jonathan a chance to say something we haven't talked about before. He says that his boss, Jonathan's boss, the big boss, likes the boys to take a day off every week. Day of 
rest. Day of rest. So we got, mm. oh, we're getting a little theology in there. He says, ah, well, who is your big boss? Again, classic Ben Affleck. And he goes, ah, you know, he's kind of hard to reach right now. Yeah, that's right. He's on vacation. Everybody's waiting for him to get back. Mm. So then Mark and Jonathan just get in the car. Then it's a hard cut and it's an airplane flying over mountains, a little private jet. We meet the children. Two kids dressed like adults, a little boy in a blue suit and a girl in a pink prom dress. They both are just talking about how much they can't wait to meet their dad. Specifically, the little girl is very excited mm. and she's asking her brother, how much longer? And he does the classic, you asked me that five minutes ago. The little boy does not seem that excited. Are these children accompanied by their mother on this plane? No. So we don't get to see who plays Jennifer Garner this episode. No, we no. never meet mom. Classic Garner. I think the boy is probably around 10. The girl's a bit younger, maybe eight. So they're middle-sized kids. They're kids, yeah. So we're at the airport. The limo with John and Mark driving, pull up, planes there, get out to meet the kids. We learn the children's names, Karen and Brock. And Brock asks, Jonathan, where's my father? Hey, where's dad? Well, you know what? Dad had to work today. Brock says to Karen, well, what would you expect? And sad trombone music. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're in the silver limo. John asks the kids if they're hungry and they really just want to get home and see dad. And the boy is just like, he hired you to watch us. Our dad's paid you to be friends with us. He's good at that. He's good at buying us friends. More sad music. I did write that there. More sad music. (laughs) I mean, the kid totally has their number. John and Mark just both look at each other like, yep. We've got some poor little rich kids here. Just want to see dad. No time. Dad's nope, too dad's busy too being busy. the lone ranger. We'll find out how busy he is in a little bit here. But first, we're going to go into the house, which is not a castle like in our previous episode, no. but is a mansion. I call it the doily mansion. It's huge. It's white lacy doily curtains between every room. Like, I, I didn't notice that. Lots of texture. Brown furniture, white lacy doily. How would an action movie start? consciously decorate his house like that. He is really busy. My guess is he hired someone to decorate. Maybe it was the ex. Maybe that's why they broke up. She had a real thing for doilies he couldn't get over. It reminded me very much of the one time I was in a bed and breakfast. Super cute. Everything is white. A little too quaint for my tastes. But that's what it made me think of. This whole house. Very elaborate. You know, plates under plates under plates. I don't know what this word means, but I want to use it. I think it's ostentatious. What do you think that word means? Doilies upon doilies. So we are at the dinner table and Mark is drinking out of a teacup. Lots of doilies and lacy curtains all around him. He doesn't seem very comfortable. They are being served by a maid as well. The uh, doorbell rings. The kids get really excited because, you know, that means dad's home. He must be ringing the doorbell. I feel like it was mostly Karen. Brock is a little bit over it. Karen goes off running to answer the door, expecting it to be dad. It's P.A. Hooch. Moosh. Moosh. Wait. Is it moosh or hooch? Is it hoosh or moosh? You said it was hoosh. Now it's hooch. Hooch makes more sense. You're saying moosh. I like moosh. Moosh is the new one. I think it's hoosh. So the PA shows up and he's all kind of excited because he's bringing all these presents to the kids. The girl is upset that it's not her father, but she's very polite to him. Hoosh moosh tells the kids that dad has a meeting tonight. He's going to be late. Hi, I'm hoosh. Uh, you must be careful. Is my father with you? Uh, no. He had a meeting tonight. He's going to be kind of late. He's really sorry. Oh, but looky here. He asked me to pick up a load of presents for you. I'm a pretty good toy picker-outer if I do say so myself. Dad didn't pick out the presents. 
dad sent Moosh to pick out the presents. And behind Moosh on the wall are nude sculptures, nude women with their arms in their air. But they were just kind of tacky. Doesn't quite work in Doily Central. The kids are upset. There's a bunch of presents. The PA is just sort of like, I don't know. So Mark says, hey, kids, you know what? Let's go upstairs. Mark actually comes in to help. He's bringing the spirit. He's bringing the joy. And he mm-hmm. says, what presents? I love presents. Let's open those presents up upstairs. The only thing I don't like is if I don't get some, open it. And it totally yeah. works on Karen. The last one up the stairs is a rotten egg. Yeah, Karen and Mark go racing upstairs, yeah. which gives Brock a moment to kind of turn and look at Jonathan and then start his slow march up the stairs. Jonathan's just watching Brock thoughtfully. We cut to the children's room and Mark has got a dart gun and he's aiming it and he's shooting targets and he's screaming, I'm winning! And he's knocking over targets and yeah. the girl's like, ah, my turn! Yeah, Karen's trying to get a turn with her new toys. Karen says, it's not fair, I need a turn. And Mark says, I'm a grown-up, I don't need to play fair. And just starts <laughs> laughing and nah. keeps shooting the gun. And then we look over at Brock, who's sitting amidst all these toys, still kind of just staring around thoughtfully. And he focuses in on a little wooden toy construction set, picks up a toy mallet, and starts smashing everything. Brock, Brock, stop it now. Come on, stop it. That's enough. Now, come on. I hate the toys. I don't want them. I don't want any of them. He's got some aggression to work mm-hmm. out. Rows down the hammer and runs out of the room. Our last shot is just of Nancy holding the dart gun, shooting the darts. Well, at least Karen's having a good time. Oh, yes, yeah, Karen. Mark, who's call her, Mark calls her that cow. Who's that famous cowgirl who's a good shot? Annie Oakley. Yeah, it's like, I got a little Annie Oakley over here. That's right. Yeah, Mark and Nancy Karen are having a good time. Yeah, so once uh, Mark and Nancy Kerrigan are done shooting, <laughs> Dad gets home. And, finally. Uh, finally, exactly. The house is kind of dark, and John walks up to him. Dad's like, did you get the children their toys? John's like, I think the kids want to see you more than they want to see the toys. And Dad says, well, the kids are going to be here a month. There will be plenty of time for me to see them. And then he tells Jonathan, be here at the house again at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Jonathan is surprised because yeah. he tells the dad, but tomorrow's Saturday. Aren't you going to be at home from work, hanging out with kids on Saturday? And dad says, no. I spend Saturdays in the cutting room. Saturdays are for work. Isn't anything more fun to do than just sit in the house all day on a Saturday editing something? With your children you haven't seen all year and your stack of money that you go out and do things with. That's always my problem. I'm like, (laughs) well, I got this stack of money and I'm like, I don't want to do anything. So then dad kind of peeks in the kids' room. We get a shot of Brock laying in bed with his eyes open, clearly not sleeping, but when he hears the door open, he closes his eyes and fakes being asleep. And his dad's like, Brock, Brock, my boy. Brock. I don't have time for you now, Dad. You didn't have time for me earlier. Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Father-son dynamics are going to be troubled all the way until the last few moments of the episode, I can already tell. We have a lot of father-son dynamics in the past few episodes, right? Yes. Definitely. Definitely. I don't have any information about this, but I'm kind of becoming curious about what Michael Landon's relationship with his father was like. We're going to go back to Jonathan and Mark. They're driving home in the limo. Mark is telling Jonathan about Brock smashing the toys because Jonathan was not in the room at that time. And Mark says he just doesn't understand Lance the dad. He's like, what does is, what is Lance do? Does he spend all his time with his friends out having fun? And Jonathan says something about how he thinks it might actually be difficult for a man like Lance to make friends because Lance assumes people only want to be his friends because he's a celebrity and he has a lot of money. Mark just says, well, fame and money shouldn't change anybody. You know, it's a pretty 
classic Mark line, I think. Sure. And then Mark after that. This is another repeating Mark theme. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm hungry. Let's pull over and get something to eat. That food was too fancy for me. So they pull into the 24-hour corner store market. They're getting some slushies at the Circle K. Just Mark Uh, is. It's actually a little grocery store. So he's got a grocery cart. Uh, He's pushing it around. It looks like he's picked up some potato chips, some beer, and he's he's looking at the cold cuts. Step back. Before he gets out of the car and walks in, there's this total street creep who's looking at him as he walks in. Yeah, he's got messy hair and a leather jacket. Clearly a time traveler sent Mm. back in the past to send a message about the impending apocalypse. Clearly. He follows him into the cold cut section as Mark is stocking up on the ham and the scotto salami. And this hood looking junkie pulls a gun on Mark. Hey, Jack. Yeah. I got a gun. I want your cash now. You kidding? I'm counting on my fingers to pay for these cold cuts. Don't give me that. You got driven up here in a limo, man. I'm telling you, I want your bucks now. And then Jonathan shows up. Jonathan is just cool and calm. And he says to the junkie, hey, friend, can I help you? Mark's like, hey, he's a junkie. He'll kill you. Jonathan looks at Mark and gives him kind of a little eyebrow smirk and says, he'll what? Uh-huh. And Mark's like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He can't, he can't kill you. Jonathan is still pretty cool. And he says to the junkie, you need help. Give me the gun. To which the junkie, he's freaking out. And he says, I warned you, man. And he shoots Jonathan. Nice. I warned you, man. What do you think Jonathan does? Well, I I mean, I would love to hear... It explained to me. I, I, I'd imagine that there's no sign of him getting shot with a bullet whatsoever. Jonathan catches the bullet in front of his face in his fingers. That's a no-no. That is more baller than Chuck Norris <laughs> ever has been. It's pretty great. That is stone cold tough. That's a no-no. That's a no-no. The junkie is understandably astonished. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? what the hell is going on here? And he starts to run away, but he runs through the produce section. Crashing into vegetables. All the fruit actually falls down. So the angel magic makes the fruit all roll in front of this kid, junkie. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So he slips, he, he pulls slips. the old slipperoo on yeah. the oranges. And it gives just enough time for the cops to come in and arrest this junkie. And the cops, as they're putting him in the cuffs, they say, well, he's a junkie, all right. And then they're kind of looking around and they're all like, where did those two guys go? He's a junkie, all right. Where are those two guys? I don't know. They must have run out. Had to been scared to death. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Incredible! I shot the guy and he caught the bullet with his own two fingers and he said it was a no-no. I am never doing trucks again. It was incredible. I shot the guy and he caught the bullet with his own two fingers and he said it was a no-no. I'm never doing drugs again. He said it was a no-no. It's pretty great. It was great. This is okay. This is what I love about Highwood Heaven. Anytime they do something that I go, uh, that's kind of cheesy, they'll usually have a character immediately call it out. It's like, yeah, that was totally cheesy. And so this guy was like, he calls it a no-no. What? What's, I'll never do drugs again. That actor who plays the junkie, his name's Dennis A. Pratt. 
we'll find out that he's going to show up in two more times in two more Highway to Heaven episodes in later seasons. Is he listed as the same character? We'll find out. (laughs) I guess we will. I hope he's turned his life around. I am going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and say this might be so far one of my top five scenes from Highway to Heaven. Awesome. Yeah. It was very well done. It was easily the most badass thing Michael Landon has done since flinging dudes across the alley. Yeah. Defending Mark in the first pilot episode, right? Now it's been established Jonathan can catch bullets. That seems pretty huge. So they fled the scene so that they didn't have to produce any more references. Right. Too many awkward questions. Or make too many more lies about who they actually are. Mm -hmm. So... Back at the mansion. It's the next morning, presumably, and everyone is in the breakfast room. Yeah. It's actually the kids are in the breakfast room, mm-hmm. being served breakfast by the maid, and then dad comes into the breakfast room. He's all like, get the car, you know, I'm late. Hey, you two kids want a hug before I go? Karen yeah. does. And they're like, you're going to work? And he's like, yeah, yeah, here's 20 bucks. Buy yourself as a surprise. So dad has got it firmly wired in his head that as long as he just gives his children money, it is a guarantee that they're okay and that they love him back. Now, here's where I should tell you that that character, the Lance Gaylord slash Ben Affleck character, oh, yeah. the actor is Daniel Davies, who you will know from two roles. Uh huh. First one as Niles the Butler from The Nanny. Kind of have him in my brain. Then maybe the second role will uh, remind you he was also in Star Trek in the Next Generation and he played Moriarty twice. I'm sure I would recognize him. So he tells his son and daughter, here's 20 bucks, buy yourself a surprise. I got to go do editing today. Jonathan and Mark are going to come hang out with you, though. So far, this is seeming very true to life. As an editor, I would have to say that this scene is uh, highly accurate. You'll notice that he did not make any plans for later with the people in his life. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about video editing is that if you make plans, if you make seven o'clock dinner plans when something is due, your computer will thwart you until 9.45. Because if you make any plans with anybody in your life, your computer will smell it and will wreck it. You're feeling this. I actually have one more question. Sure. You know, this is no disrespect towards you as an artist or an actor or an editor, but does Ben Affleck have to edit his own films? He probably doesn't do it himself as to whether or not he needs to be in the room while he does it with the person who edits his films. I'm not sure. There are some directors who need to sit there with the editor all day long and just check their email while the editor is hacking away on rough cuts. Because that's what we see in the next scene where in the editing room, he's watching a clip of the show that they're editing. And it's a Western scene and it's a kid yelling at the camera, Dad, you lied to me. I hate you. It's the child actor from the beginning. Lance and the editor he's working with say, we're not going to finish this tonight. And Lance says, well, if we can't finish it, we're going to have to work tomorrow on Sunday too. So really just establishing that Lance is not planning on spending time with his children. Not anytime soon because they're going to be around for so long. He's got the whole month to burn on opportunities to hang out with his little kids. They also make jokes about what it's like to work with child actors. Oh, yeah. And Lance thinks the child actor is a brat, but he blames the stage mom. That seems pretty accurate. Did the kids say anything in that scene earlier? It really was mostly the mom. Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. 
visit our website, highwaytohavenrevisited.com, to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over. So we cut to the park with John, Mark, and the kids. Mark is encouraging Karen to do the monkey bars. Karen's nervous, but then she says, oh, I'll give it a try. And she gets halfway across before she falls off. I could never do the monkey bars the whole way. Could you guys get across the monkey bars? Not when I was little, no. How about you? Do you remember? I got across the monkey bars. I mean, not on the first try, but I I definitely kept trying on the monkey bars until I could show off. Good for you. I could do that thing where I skipped a couple rungs. I could totally do like the orangutan swing across. I was committed, guys. It's just the workaholic in you. Even when I was in the army doing monkey bars, I just couldn't do them. I did them until like my like the skin came off of my hands. You can do pull ups. I could though. do pull ups. I just never got the mechanic down. I just, wow. Yeah, like it's like and anytime there were like ropes involved, it would always be like, oh no, Joel's. Can we not get Joel on the rope part? What happens if yeah. you're on a team and you can't do the rope part? Does your whole team have to stop? If they're around, they can help you. Wow. I just thought every little kid practices the monkey bars until they can do them. No. And here's what I find out wow. today. I'd be curious about other people's experiences. That's not a question I think I've asked anyone in my life before. Listeners out there, if you can or cannot use the monkey bars effectively, please let us know. Give us a call at the hotline to heaven. It is 612-356-2495. And if anyone has any technique tips for Joel, because I feel like you should be able to do the monkey bars. I mean, you are a man after all, Joel. <laughs> No. Not in a shame-filled way. In a, I think you're capable of it. Hey, Thanks, uh, Sam. Joel, if you would uh, humor me for one more joke Please. here. Let me participate in a Michael Landon reenactment with you. Oh, my goodness. So this is a pretend episode where you're playing Joel Luters. <laughs> uh-huh. You're 11 years old and you can't use the monkey bars. John, the, the monkey bars are stupid. And just for stupid people, I'm going to go play Nintendo. You know, I, I thought you were a man. So I can't do the monkey bars and I'm not a man. Oh. Is that shameful enough? (laughs) Oh, nuts. (laughs) Cut to Joel immediately being able to do the monkey bars. Yeah. Oh, that's all it took. (laughs) We are still at the monkey bars. We're not going to quite move on. Karen's still liberating the monkey bars. She's having her own monkey bar journey as we speak. She's a little more like you, Sam. She made it halfway across the monkey bars. And then Mark actually encourages her to try again and says he thinks she can go the whole way across. Karen gets back in line because there's multiple kids waiting for their turn on the monkey bars. Mark is sitting on a picnic table kind of on the sidelines with Brock Mm -hmm. trying to talk Brock into playing football with him. Brock doesn't want to though. Brock's too mad at his dad to have any fun. Brock, 
actually has a pretty good argument because he says it's not quite the same when I know you're being paid to play with me, Mark. Yeah. Dude's got yeah. the number of the help. And the thing that I like about Mark, he doesn't try to talk him out of it. He's just kind of like, yeah, I get that, kid. I liked that response. Suddenly a bully pushes the sister down. Karen's getting in a little fight over by the monkey bars. It was her turn and uh-huh. she had to stop and tie her shoe or fix her ponytail or something. And the kid behind her got impatient and tried to cut the line. She got mad and said, it's my turn. And they ended up fighting and the kid pushed her to the ground. Then it gets a little interesting. John turns to Brock and is like, dude, the person's beating up your sister. You're going to stand up to your sister, dude? You should go fight that kid. Yeah, so John's encouraging Brock to go fight. So Brock does. Brock goes and punches some eight-year-old kid's lights out. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, stage mom shows up. The kid in the fight is our child actor. Oh my goodness. Stage yep. mom's like, how dare you pick on my son? And Brock is all like, he pushed my sister, didn't he? He most certainly did not. Would you like me to call the police you don't know who my son is and john shows up and is like eh, i don't think calling the cops is necessary john just does some pretty <laughs> slick name dropping do you know whose son this is only the star of the tv show that your child actor son is on and mom immediately changes her tune totally she's totally just kissing up to the kids yeah. now oh my gosh oh and thank you for recognizing my child and so then mom and child actor turn and start walking back to where they were at the park and it this point in the show, I realized I'd seen it earlier, but it hadn't quite connected. Where they were sitting in the park, mom and child actor, they had their director's chair with them with the kid's <laughs> name on the back. <laughs> and I love that it was in two shots because I really didn't notice it in the first shot. But when they were walking back, I just went, wait, that's, that's his chair. Nice. His name on it. Oh, gosh. They, they did nice. work they hard, hard for it. For that chair. <laughs> well, see, then we go back to Mark and Mark is just like, boy, what a bunch of phonies. Mark says... That kid needs to be taught a lesson or two. John's like, my feeling exactly. Jonathan Smith does not take kindly to precocious mouthy children. Apparently not. Children have a place according to this angel. Or something might happen. Just a quick diversion, guys. On the subject of watching somebody pick on your sibling, Mm -hmm. a certain story from my own lifespan comes to mind. Please. Mm -hmm. I remember being roughly the age of the uh, Karen character in this episode. I was pretty perhaps seven or eight years old. And my younger brother, a child of about three or four years old, and I remember randomly having to accompany my father's parents to a blood drive, and it was in the basement of the Legion. So we're waiting for our grandparents to donate blood, and there's a gaggle of kids around at this blood bank, and there was just this sort of dirty kid who my brother was sort of gravitating towards and trying to play with. Was he literally dirty? Yeah, he had some dirt on his face, he had some dirt on his sweatpants, he was wearing like a matching gray sweatpants outfit. Aww. And I remember my brother hopped up on a folding chair and did some posture like a dinosaur or something at this kid. And this kid was bigger than me, you know, nine or 10 years old. And my brother leapt up on the chair. I remember seeing this at a distance. He was across the room. My brother leapt up on the chair and he went, Rah! to this guy and this dirty kid kicked the chair <gasps> so my Ooh. brother fell off the chair onto the floor Whoa. and just started bawling yeah and I just wish at that point in my life I had had my own Jonathan Smith in the room with me to tell me to like be a little brave and go clock that kid in the jaw this is not how I expected the story to end when that kid knocked over my brother all I wanted to do was go and rip his eyeballs out but you just you didn't do anything nope mm. swallowed it up 
Well, and this really makes me think just about the emotional layers, Mm -hmm. the depth we get with Highway to Heaven. Because while I'm not enough of a pacifist to say that you should never get in a fight, and I wouldn't encourage small children to get in fights at all, but your story shows that sometimes you do need a Michael Landon to give you a little nudge, you know, make you feel a little braver. Maybe that kid needed a good punch, you know? I want to tell a story from when I was a kid, but I have one older sister. She's just a year and a half older than me. And this is something that I don't remember, but probably happened when I was two or three years old. So my sister would have been just a little bit older than me. She called me. I'm 40 years old. My sister called me probably two years ago to tell me this story. So it's been weighing on her her whole life. Apparently, we were small children laying down, sharing a bed, taking our afternoon nap. I don't know what I did because I'm sure I was a saintly little child who was easy to live with. But my sister was mad at me about something. So my little, let's say four-year-old sister bites herself on the forearm, leaves a mark, starts yelling and calls my mom in to get me in trouble. Wow. Yeah, she's wailing and saying, look at what Rachel did. Oh my gosh. And I'm all like, no, I didn't. (laughs) And you know who they believed? Not me. Wow. Why would anyone ever do that to themselves? Yep. And apparently I got a spanking, which that that was kind of the discipline of the day. Let's not have a debate about that right now. But yeah, I got in some serious trouble. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. I did make my sister call and tell her parents. That was my (laughs) response. I was like, you better fess up, man. (laughs) My mom didn't remember it either. I mean, with talk of all these siblings and stuff, it does remind me of the way it feels like whenever I see my sibling cats get picked on. Joel is an only child. (laughs) Mostly. But whenever uh, like my sister cats get picked on or something, it does bother me just a little bit. Or like if they are really hungry for food and the timing machine hasn't gone off yet i kind of get mad at the machine so i'm just saying i can see like what (laughs) what you guys have have carried around you can really relate to the sibling drama you did play with your cats a lot growing up (laughs) i spent a lot of time home alone growing up playing with cats sure you were somewhat raised by cats (laughs) (laughs) meow glee the joel looters story (laughs) a hulu original series Come, Mowgli, join me in my cardboard maze. (laughs) It was made by the man. (laughs) What man? The man. You know the man. The man. Where are we in this story? We're at the editing room now. We cut to the editing room and the phone's ringing. Ben Affleck, he answers the phone. There's bad news on the other line. Someone has to be recast. We've got to recut some stuff from scratch. Who could possibly need to be taught a lesson? Oh man, looks like we got to work Sunday because sweet little Tom, he got the chicken pox. The child actor has gotten the chicken pox from God? From the big boss? Wow. Jonathan (laughs) said the child actor needs to be taught a lesson. Next scene, kid gets chicken box. Didn't the kid also get his ass beat on the playground? <laughs> yeah. How many different lessons do you need for being a bully? I hope that mom got chicken pox too. Oh, what's it called when you're old and you get chicken pox and it hurts a lot? Shingles. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't want her to get shingles. Yeah. I just want to make her itchy and uncomfortable and yeah. a little achy. Exactly. Since I know you guys are curious about the realistic depiction of a video editor on film, mm-hmm. so far we're batting a thousand. I will vouch that occasionally in the edit room there is a telephone and every once in a while does bad news come from the other line I do like that Michael Landon has taken the time to make this editing scene so true to life it's really the attention to detail that seriously continues to impress me it actually is really good this episode was made by somebody playing a little inside baseball this whole like, oh sure probably, part they probably were having fun with it I'm yeah. sure I can't imagine it'd be any child actors on Little House on the Prairie but do you think Michael Landon was thinking of some child 
actors he's worked with <laughs> delivering those lines. I hope so. At least when he was writing them. Obviously, we've got a divine case of chicken pox, but mm-hmm. it's also conceivable that one of the other children, i.e. Gaylord's children, are carrying the virus and just showing no symptoms. Oh. So Ben Affleck's oh. kids gave child actor on the television show chicken pox. So they flew over in their private jets, but she's and like thank a- God for that private jet. Otherwise, they would have, you know, created an infected. epidemic. Yeah. So Karen's like a typhoid Karen. Probably everyone at the playground has been mm-hmm. infected. All the equipment. Because she was doing the monkey bars before him. That's why you should yeah. wash your hands. And never touch your eyes or no. shove your fingers up your nose. Uh, this would be a good time to tell you. You know the kid who plays Brock Gaylord? Oh, yeah. The son, he is actor Robert Jane. He's the kid from Tremors. I have seen Tremors, a stunning film starring Kevin Bacon and Family Ties is Michael Gross. I believe since the first Tremors movie, Michael Gross has been in every single Tremors movie. And I believe this actor has also been in the sequels as well. Once you realize he's someone familiar, just a really recognizable face. And he's been in probably, it's looked like every sitcom in the 80s and early it's... 90s. Just so many. We thought he was stars. the older brother from Wonder Years. Ago. That is exactly what I was going to say. He was actually in an episode of Wonder Years. Yes. So now John and Mark and the kids are now walking through a hallway where there seems to be like a kid's casting call going on to fill this role. Mark and Jonathan have decided to bring the kids to dad's work because that's apparently the only way they're going to see dad. The kids are like, ah, you know, I don't even know if this is a great idea. Jonathan's trying to explain to Brock a little bit why dad is the way he is. Lance apparently started working in the industry when he was 10 and just has never stopped. And so has a feeling of he always needs to work more, needs more money. And Brock just doesn't understand it. Brock says he has so much money already. Why does he need to keep working? The kids and Mark and Jonathan basically find themselves in the midst of this casting call to replace Chicken Pox Boy. The woman who's running the auditions just hands Brock a script. She assumes he's there to read. Here's the script. See, we'll be reading on page 32 and 74. Okay. We were just wondering where Lance Gaylord was. Mr. Gaylord will be here when I'm finished reading with all the boys. What's your name, son? Brock. All right, Brock, why don't you just have a look at it, and uh, it'll be about half an hour. Uh, Miss Cohen, I... hey, what do you think of them apples? I think he's an actor. This is what I knew was going to happen. <laughs> You're going to understand your daddy because you get to be a child actor now, too. Yep, Jonathan totally thinks he should go for it. Brock doesn't want to at first. But I'm not an actor. Oh, you going to tell me you never fibbed to get out of being punished? You never stood in front of your folks with those big tears running down your cheeks saying, I didn't do it, believe me, honest. You never did that? Sure I did. Did it with my mom lots of times. Did she believe you? Yeah. And you're an actor. More questionable but effective Jonathan kid advice. Yeah. But again, kind of refreshing. <laughs> it's true. So Brock agrees to try it. He's going to give it a shot. Next, we're in the editing room, and the casting lady runs in and is like, found the kid. We thought it was a bust up until the last kid who auditioned. He's great. You got to come see him, Lance. Yeah. Luckily, they're never around, so nobody has ever met Lance Gaylord's children. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point, actually. They're just like, this kid's amazing. And of course, it's Brock. Of course, it's Brock. But we get a pretty good scene here. Picture there's the room that Brock is in doing the audition. There's like a little waiting room 
room adjoining it. And in the waiting room, we have Karen, Jonathan, and Mark sitting in chairs. Lance starts to walk into the waiting room. Mark, Jonathan, and Karen all lift up magazines to cover their faces. The classic, Mm. you can't see us. We're hiding behind magazines. It works. He doesn't see them. Nice. So then he walks into the audition room. Brock has his back to the door, but he doesn't even get to read any lines. He just turns around and Lance is not amused. He's pissed. He is, yeah. Then Jonathan tries to mediate a little bit, tells Lance it was actually his idea. He thought it just might be fun and it might be a way for Lance and Brock to spend some time with each other. Lance is pretty much just ready to leave the office. Casting lady is like, but he's really good, Lance. Uh Really good. And he's just like, oh, you again? When's this father-son crap gonna stop? Oh, I'm your dad. I need to spend time with you. I'll be free in three weeks. Mm -hmm. So Lance just leaves. And and he goes, you know what? We'll just shoot around the boy tomorrow. Wow. Brock's looking pretty bummed out. Yeah, because Brock actually took like a step and a half in a different direction that he wasn't really comfortable in. And he got very validated by everyone else telling him he was doing a really good job. Brock must have got his hopes up for a second because they were going to send his dad into the room and his dad doesn't even give him a chance to do his thing. This is not going to help Brock be vulnerable going forward. This is what happens. You act vulnerable, you get bitten. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to go back to the mansion. We're outside kind of in the yard. It's Mm -hmm. the evening. We're on the quadrangle. It's actually a sculpture garden with sculptures all around the edges. And we just see Brock sitting on some steps reading the script. So he's kept a copy of the script he auditioned with and he's flipping through it. Has a horse on the front. The sister comes out, tries to reason with him. They argue. She wants to go to the movies. I don't want to go to the movies. You know, our dad doesn't love us. I hate our dad. I don't know him and he doesn't know me. I wish we'd never come here. I hate him. Karen's getting really upset and she's yelling, that's not true. Brock says, go to the movies. Maybe you'll find a movie with our dad in it. That's the only way you're gonna see him. Jinkies. So Karen goes to the movies. John approaches Brock and's like, hey, look, you finished the whole thing. You know, you should tell your father how you feel. And he says, you know, that he can't tell him how he feels because talking about your feelings is hard. All my dad ever tells me is how lucky I am to have Lance Gaylord for a father and that he just grew up with everyone telling him that his dad was some kind of god. Everybody's always made a fuss over him. Kids always saying how lucky I was to have Lance Gaylord for a dad. I grew up thinking it was some kind of god, and it's hard to talk to a god. I don't know about that. Yeah, if you want to have a one-way conversation like I do. Jonathan asks him a little about the script. Jonathan liked the part in the script where the boy runs away. And Brock says, well, that's what I feel like doing right now. And then they go on to talk about dad a little bit more. Brock's talking about all dad cares about is his job. It's a lot like the dad in the script. And the kid says, man, I wish I could talk to my dad the same way I talk to you, Mr. Smith. Jonathan Smith says, so do I, son. And then Brock realizes that the breakthrough came in the script after the boy ran away. Then everything got worked out. He ran away and everything got better for the kid. Jonathan just kind of keeps pushing this idea. (laughs) Jonathan says, how did the father find the boy in the end? Brock's like, well, he didn't run far off. He was only hiding in town. Jonathan says, so he wants to be found then. Sounds to me like that part was made for you, Brock. Wink, wink, wink. We just leave Brock staring thoughtfully at the script. Can't imagine what idea has been planted in his head at this point. Just run away for an afternoon. Nothing will happen to you in Mm -hmm. 1984 Los Angeles. Do you guys remember, though, growing up in the 80s, there was some romanticism around running away. That storyline was in a lot of different movies and books about running away and spending the night somewhere. 
Oh, sure. Seemed like a great idea, right? Oh, yeah. I always dreamed of just running away and spending the night in a museum. Or like being in a shopping center after it Mm -hmm. shut down for the night. For sure. So the little kid me watching this would have totally bought into the idea. So he's going to run away. This is another example of some lousy angel advice. I didn't feel comfortable with this advice. Mm -hmm. See, I would have taken the advice about punching a kid in the mouth at the blood bank, but I would have not taken this advice. Run away from home? No, thank you. So (laughs) you guys, it's it's that nighttime and the dad's coming home to the doily mansion and he's like hey jonathan where's my kids jonathan's waiting up for lance it looks like so presumably they've been editing all day so it's probably like 3 45 a.m at this point yeah so he's burning the candle at both ends he's making that lone ranger money where's the kids karen's upstairs where's brock he's gone what do you mean he's gone we took karen in the movies today when we got back he was gone I told you to keep an eye on those children every minute. He was upset. He didn't want to come with us. Then you should have stayed with him. If anything's happened to my son, you're going to pay. Who are you calling? The police. Who do you think? He's the man on his phone. He's all right. I think I know where he is. What do you mean you know? He's like, well, look, I was in the yard and there was this script that he was rehearsing. I think he's run away. And he's like, run away? And he's like, yeah, yeah, well, let's just get in the car and take a ride. He's like, man, my kid better be all right. And John's like, your son's going to be surprised to know you care. Zing. That is a Michael Landonism, if I ever heard one. Yeah, I have to say this is delivered quite sincerely, too. Michael Landon is actually tearing up in this scene. Gaylor's like, what are you talking about? And John, tearing up, says, if you stopped worrying about being successful for five minutes, you'd know what I was talking about. You broke his heart today. Gaylord Ben Affleck, or maybe this is Michael Landon writing from his own experiences, says, come on, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you filling his head with these dreams of being a big star. John says, you think he wanted this part for the glory? He wanted the part because he wanted to be with his father. Gaylord says, you're crazy. John says, you know what? I feel sorry for you, Mr. Gaylord. You're a hero to strangers and a stranger to your own children. This sounds pretty potentially autobiographical, this storyline. Yeah, I think it very well could be. So next we're on set. Jonathan and Lance have gone to look for Brock, and we walk into what looks like kind of a saloon scene to me, Mm -hmm. but it's at night. Everything's dark. There's really no lights on, so it's all pretty much cast in shadows. Lance says something to Jonathan like, how can you be so sure he's here? Jonathan says, I think I actually know him better than you do, Dad. So then he's only been here 18 hours. (laughs) Yeah, right. So we're on the set. It's dark. And at the top of the stairs is Brock. Dad, thankfully, is like, oh, thank God you're all right. You know, I was so worried about you. Brock comes walking down the stairs and dad starts asking, why'd you run off? I was scared to death. I think I was like busy crying at this <laughs> point. You had me scared half to death. What'd you run off for? Because all you care about is being the sheriff, Pa. Brock, what are you talking about? The script. Do the lines from the script. You're talking nonsense, son. You come on home now and we'll talk. I don't know how to talk to you. What do you mean? I mean, we've never done it. We've never really talked. I'm afraid to tell you how I feel. That's silly. There's no reason to be afraid. Please help me then. How, son? Do the lines. Do them. I've been looking all over for you, boy. What are you doing in here? I work here, Pa. What are you talking about? You get on home right now, you hear me? I hear you plain, but I'm not going. You'll do as I say. No, I won't. Not anymore. You want to wear that badge and get yourself killed, you go ahead. But I'm not going to be there to see you die. I love you, Pa. That's why I can't. 
I can't go to sleep every night and wonder if I'll see you the next morning or the next week or never. Go do what you have to, Pa. But I'm not going to be any part of it. No more. Goodbye, Pa. Lance is touched. Yeah. Lance is touched. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's both proud of his son's performance. Oh, yeah, he got to see how good he was. Yeah, because it was really good. This kid nailed it. But he's both proud of his son's performance, but also just like sad about the truth behind the words. It's a great cocktail of emotions to witness on an actor's face. Dad is really having this crisis, and he's saying to Brock, what can I do? How can I change? Lance wants to change, but he says he's been playing this character in life for so long. He doesn't know how to change, and he's afraid of anyone getting to know the real him, even his son. Everyone is crying right now. Yes. Everyone is crying. And Brock goes to his dad, you're crying, dad. You're crying. Then Brock gives his dad a big hug. Yeah. The tears have really broken through to Lance. Yes. Shot of Jonathan. He's crying too. Everyone is crying. Jonathan walks over to Lance and Brock and says, welcome Welcome to to the the real real world, world, Lance. Lance. Some multi-layered stuff going on there. Mm -hmm. Fast cut to a bunch of ladies dressed in feathers and colorful headdresses. Like like saloon girls. So it's like this dark beat. Now it's these ladies walking around in neon yeah, bright feathers sunlight. and colorful we're ba- we're outside. Back on the we're on the, set. the back lot. Mark and John are in a car and they're getting stopped by the gate guard. We should be on the list under Mr. Gaylord's name. Guy can't find it. Security guard's like, you're not on there. They say, you're probably looking under Lance Gaylord. We want you to look under Brock. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So and in pulled Jonathan and Mark. They drive to the Western set. And we see Brock, Dad, and Karen playing a rock throwing game. Yeah, they're tossing rocks into buckets yep. and laughing. Mm-hmm. They're having a good time. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know I could have my kids on set and it would be so much fun. And Brock's gotten the part. He's the little kid, of course. We all know that right now. So yeah. at this point, Brock has still yet to uh, develop chicken pox of his own. He's still just spreading it. Mark and Jonathan say they've come to say goodbye. They ask him, please stay. Well, our boss needs us elsewhere. And uh, again, well, I'd love to meet your boss. I'm sure you will someday. Then the PA pops back up again. Hooch shows up and says, hey, we're losing light. We're going to have to come in on Sunday. Lance is like, no. You know what? I'll cover everyone's paycheck. I promised my kids that we're going fishing. Making big strides. Mm -hmm. Everybody's making big strides. Mark and John hop inside their 79 Grand Prix and drive off the western set and into the sunset. Yep, they're getting out of Dodge. Well, clearly their job here is done. They have left everything better in their wake. Except for that poor kid and his mom. (laughs) Yeah. Tommy with the chicken pox and the scraped up knees. We have to assume that taught child actors some pretty big life lessons though, right? Or was it purely for the benefit of Brock and Lance? And he was just a pawn in the plan. I don't think there's any lesson to be gleaned from that kid's perspective about getting chicken pox. I can't imagine that anybody would put that together as a divine case of chicken pox. All right, guys, thanks for coming over and talking through yet another episode, season one, episode nine of Highway to Heaven. We're going to put a nice little bow on it right now, you and I, guys. How about we talk about what the moral of this episode is? Oh, let's do it. I think I should start. The moral of this episode for me is that if you work too hard, be wary of having children because then they'll resent you because you work so hard. Yeah. <laughs> which, is kind of, which is kind of the moral of the last one. <laughs> Yeah, actually it was. 
Yes. Oh, look, you built an empire and you spend no time with the ones you love. We- what about you, Rachel? What's the moral for you today? In the short term, shame really can be effective if you want something to happen in the next, you know, half an hour, hour. So sometimes telling a kid that they need to fight actually works. You just need to have, I guess, the wisdom of heaven to know when that occasion is, which mm. is tricky. Because but- not a lot of us have entree to a one-on-one conversation with an angel right. at any point in our lives. Right. Every once in a while, it really is okay to encourage the wrong behavior because it's the right behavior for right then. Excellent. Mm-hmm. What about you, Joel? Man, this is tough. Like, I think the lesson that we get is that if you have a problem so big that you have to destroy the lives of those around you in order to stay on this track, I mean, that's just a big no-no. Hmm. <laughs> That's a no-no. I like it. I do too. Before we bid a fond farewell to our audience this week, we can't leave an episode without assessing the Michael Landon factor. Mm. On a scale of one to ten Landons, how many Michael Landons do you give this episode, Rachel? You go first, Joel. What do you think? Overall, I enjoyed this episode a lot. It's about a character that does what Michael Landon does, stars and directs and produces and edits his own stuff. So it's potentially very autobiographical. That increases the Landon points. There's a couple good one-liners, not as many as some other episodes have. I don't feel like there's a lot of awesome crutch-kicking lines. So while it's highly autobiographical and that would make it highly Landon, there also isn't a whole bunch of angel magic besides... like There was some references. Oh, wait, he catches a bullet. That's what I'm mulling over. That's why I want you to go first because he catches a catches a bullet with his fingers. That's right. That is the most. And then he says it's a no no. It's a no no. And we also spend about five minutes explaining psychic paper. That's right. So Joel, uh, if you need fifteen minutes more to filibuster it, go (laughs) ahead. But on a scale of one to ten, Landon's. Uh, we're gonna seven point seven five. Seven point seven five. Oh, okay. I'm going with I'm going with nine. Great. I'm going big. Let me just get my scientific calculator out here. 7.75 <laughs> plus let's 9. Let's not make nine it easy on Sam. Divided by 2. <laughs> so, no, 70. It's 50. Eight, it's, it's 50. It's 8.25. An overall Michael Landon factor of 8.25. Thanks once again for your time today, Joel and Rachel. You are turning out to be quite the podcast hosts indeed. And this has continued to be a fun journey as we journey the highway to heaven together. And Joel and I just want to thank you, Sam, for fitting us into your workaholic schedule. No problem. We know you're prioritizing us. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are fiercely anticipating your feedback, hearing about whether or not you enjoy or disapprove of what we're doing here on the podcast. Or if you think we've completely missed the mark on our moral takeaways, please feel free to tell us what yours are. Thanks a lot for another great episode, guys. Thank you, Sam. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thanks. And if any of you out there have any what would Jonathan Smith do lower back tattoos, please uh, send those photos our way. Yes. Please join us on the next one and have a great rest of your day, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. this joy knows about you? Only one way to find out. Where did you say you were from? Galilee. What's your name? Adiyah. What does that mean? It means a fisherman. Peter the fisherman from Galilee. 
was sent out to fish for men's souls. That's me. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-FLOW-BIZ-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or, send the show an email at highwaytoheavenrevisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.